everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Your Dose, the podcast where we share stories of individuals to help people feel less alone and more connected. And in this episode, we have Reynolds, who is discussing the importance of breathing, holistic health and the role of nature in well-being. He shares his academic journey and the intersection of science and economics in his pursuit of holistic medicine. Reynolds emphasises the need for a more natural and holistic approach to health, including nutrition and lifestyle. Reynolds discusses the importance of holistic health and shares his top three habits for achieving it. He shares his current projects, including freelance work, building a charity and angel investing. In particular, Reynolds includes Ikigai Health and Nature Retreats, which aim to help individuals find their purpose, improve their health and live in harmony with nature. Thank you so much for Reynolds for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom around nature and holistic health. I do hope that the listeners can benefit from some of the advice and tips that you've given around how to really achieve this in our day-to-day lives. Hope you enjoy the episode and please remember to leave a review if you do listen to this and also remember to follow wherever you're listening, so that you can keep up to date with all the, the most recent episodes. Reynolds, welcome to the Your Dose podcast. Yeah, your Dose. <laughs> I'm feeling amazing. I'm feeling yeah. ready to go. Let's go. I'm feeling great as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Um, one of the questions I always obsessed to start with on the podcast is, tell me a little bit about you, what's your background, academically and professionally, and also where have you come from? Mm, beautiful yeah so i guess yeah, the background question like who are you um yeah i guess i'll start maybe with like a traditional like academic professional one first and then we can dive into like a big story and that yeah thing. but uh, it's always funny uh, describing yourself as someone you can just say oh i work at this i work at that i'm this person but i do um i've been very influenced by like um indigenous wisdom especially here in australia on like what's your story like who are you like your mm. roots your parents like these sort of things so I think we can dive into it later, but yeah, I'll start with the academic professional one. Yeah. Um, so I guess I've always been super curious and uh, I love science and learning. Um, I also love the arts and creative, but I'd say uh, I d- definitely had a period of my life where I focused on science more. And now I'm getting back to my right brain kind of artistic side. And so I yeah, studied my chemistry, physics in high school, um, math, math specialists, all this stuff. But I did literature, uh, religion and life too, that was quite interesting, a bit of drama. Uh, and so I uh, studied pre-med in uni. So I really wanted to become a doctor, and I still uh, am on a longer kind of road to become a holistic doctor of humans and nature. Yeah. Um, but my major was physiology in my undergrad um, in the kind of biomedical uh, science field, and then I also did uh, commerce with economics. So I had kind of like a nice duality of science and you know economics, finance uh, in my undergrad at UWA back in Perth. Nice. Uh, so for me, that was amazing because as opposed to the pre-med kids who would just study the physiology and the neuroscience and the anatomy, which I still did and I, I love, I got to have this wonderful other side of the table where you get a lot about you know, economics and about the financial flows of markets and behavioral science over there. And, and I really found the intersection with health economics. So I'm very passionate about uh, how you can spend $1 and be able to get the maximum return on investment in society for that, uh, with your health care and development. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and one thing that you mentioned there was holistic health. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So um, holistic, uh, I also like to use the word systems. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's like two types of thinking. There's a beautiful book called The Systems View of Life. Um, maybe we can link it in the show notes. It's a big textbook, but uh, 
I've even only read the introduction to two chapters. So the main message from that was that you have a reductionist or mechanistic way of looking at things, mm. and then a holistic or a systemic view of things. And society shifts in its pendulum swing between these ways of viewing all things. Uh, the ancient Greeks were actually a culture which saw things in a very holistic or systems view, but mm. yet were very scientific. And I feel like right now we're actually in a scientific paradigm. Uh, the book actually states it, and I agree, that's very reductionist or mechanistic, um, kind of Newtonian. And we are now swinging back into a paradigm which is more holistic. And what holistic means, uh, at least to myself, is that the sum of the parts, that the whole is more than the sum of the parts. Mm. Yeah. And so when you think about the human body and brain, you can't just reduce it down to its subspecialties and atoms and neurons. Because even if you go so deep into those things, you still won't get the full picture. Mm. You need to take a big step back see the whole and see how you relate to other things. So not just the body and mind, but how you relate to your outside world, to your family, to like the world, to the economy, to your social media, to your phone. Like this is more of a holistic view of health that goes beyond like the traditional view where you split the medical specialty in like a hundred different you know, subspecialties of endocrinology or cardiology or psychiatry. But really seeing like health as yeah, in a systems way, like a even kind of more of a public health or a global health perspective as well. And how can you apply that into the world of medicine to um, to help the individuals who are suffering with illness, for example? Mm, yeah, good point. So I guess well, one really beautiful way I think that this can be applied is that you no longer think that the only way to heal yourself or to get medical treatment is from a doctor or mm. from the current medical system. You can be able to receive healing from your family, from yourself, from nature, from the food you eat, from every other thing. So when you really have a holistic approach, how you move every day, how you sleep, like your lifestyle. Like, and that is where the big switch in my head, I was like, wait, like health is not, um, you know, this medical specialty with it. It's more about, you know, sick care or disease. Um, but acute care in that sense but it's really about how can you have the highest quality of life how can you be happy how can you be content how can you live a life with vitality um and a life where when you die you you look back and just be know that you lived a good life mm -hmm. and i think that it, it gets quite philosophical when you really think holistically but that's how it should be in my mind because we've taken up the philosophy and all the cultural roots and the beauty and the wonder and all medicine and it's just very like mechanistic you have this disease we, we prescribe you this we give you that and i'm like dude like health is so beautiful like we are all one you know and yeah. why not kind of see it more holistically so for example on the topic of let's say antidepressants you would assume that that might not always be the best approach to go into a gp explain that you're feeling low and then for them to just prescribe you antidepressants do you think that mm. there are other ways that we as humans can heal ourselves without medicine mm. and what would you say would be one of the best ways to heal mm. or to specifically i guess mental illness but we can look at physical as well mm. out of all of the things holistically what do you think is the, the number one yeah yeah um i guess even before i go into that i i, I would want to point out that your mental illness physical illness 
I know that it's good to distinguish things as well, but I, I really see them like mind body as one. Yeah, absolutely. And so like uh, no matter what mental illness you have, there's physical things you can do to help that. And no matter what physical illness you have, mental things you can do to help that. Yeah. So like, mind body is really like this connection, it's, you know? Yeah, the, the brain is kind of like what oh, the mind is once it's separated because it's so deep and big, like neuroscience is its whole specialty. Um, but yeah, like, they're really just one. And so given how like, one thing, um, and I, I think we've discussed this a bit before, but and this amazing podcast I listened to recently um, with Dr. Zach Bush um, really inspired me, but that's really that nature or living in harmony with nature uh, and your own true nature is like the meta solution to all disease and all problems. So whether that be you reconnecting with your own true nature in the self, whether that be you reconnecting with the natural way humans have always existed, which is community, or whether that be you connecting back with like a larger natural world and going out to a natural park, a national park and being in nature with the trees and the swans and the birds and the bugs and just being there in and of itself will reduce your cortisol levels. There's great uh, evidence to back that up. Uh, there's like clinical trials on their record cortisol levels for people in Japan uh, and other areas too, but this is one study I can remember where their cortisol levels would drop after 15 minutes. And that's the stress. Yeah, it's beautiful. So 15 wow. minutes in nature and you're already less stressed. What happens when your cortisol level drops? Oh, wait, you might get better sleep that night. Hey, you might also feel less cravings for all the unhealthy food. You yeah. also will feel more content and happy and relaxed. And then you can make better decisions at work and with your family. And so you see how that one act of being in nature has a systemic effect in all other areas. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, like being either in nature or at least living a life that is natural to you and how we are always meant to be, um, that is, to me, like the best thing anyone can do. And that is a very individual thing. Like, you should know what you need to do in the next, like, step or the next day um, to live a more natural life. And you can't change everything at once, like, day by day. Um, but for me, like, to give a few little things is, like, light. Uh, living a uh, human, like Andrew Huberman, we all love him, uh, He's been a big inspiration with his focus on the, the eyes and light. So for me, I wake up every day and, you know, I might be a bit naughty sometimes and, you know, check my phone a little bit, but I try to say, hey, phone, I'll leave you in the corner. I'm going to go straight outside. So what would you say is the optimal amount of time that you could should avoid screens in a morning for mm. the most benefits? Yeah. So I guess, like, yeah, like the, the, your day really starts as soon as you wake up. Um, I love the, is it the Dalai Lama quote, I think, where he, he even says, like, every new day is, uh, is kind of like a new life. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of, like, reborn like from this unconscious to this conscious state. And I really love that because it's like you can renew yourself every day. So yeah. I'd say just your mindset in the morning straight away is, is, is really important. So just to wake up and be like, okay, I've got a new beautiful day uh, that could be one with purpose, you know, with life. And then to go straight and do your routine without getting sucked into, like, the dopamine addicting machine of the phone, say. In terms of an exact time, it's going to differ for everyone, but I did read recently that the average Australian spends 5.5 hours per day on the phone. Wow. Which is huge. And, and in the morning in particular, yeah. do you think that there's a specific amount of time that you should maybe avoid it? Like, you know, is it oh, like 30 minutes? Yeah, or, actually, or yeah, I think even like um, 20, 30 minutes so that you can walk outside see the sun and even if it's cloudy looking towards the sun is still going to help a lot with mm. uh, you now releasing your you have these clock and beam genes 
which are now upregulated as soon as you see the sun. So your circadian rhythm starts. Yeah, as soon as you this, yeah. yeah. And so once that happens, you get this nice cascade of cortisol and adrenaline and pretty much all the hormones which make you feel awake. Yeah. So now you're awake, you can go do your things without the need for just a coffee. So if you just go on your phone in the morning, your dopamine is getting sucked up by this and then oh, I'm very tired, okay, I'll have a coffee. Why not just like, instead of having that as your routine, go outside, see the sun. For me, I walked to this near, like actually the near nature bit, it's called Dr. Mary Booth Lookout, which is a wonderful public good in nature. And there's two park benches. Is this in Sydney? In Sydney, yes. It's, it's near where I live. Very close. Need to go. Yeah. And so... I go to there and there's a wonderful view of like the harbour and like the water and trees. And wow. I go there, um, sunny or even if cloudy, it's okay. And I'll do like, I'll have my morning routine and I'll do like some kind of like yoga kind of poses and stretching. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I do, I'll do handstands and it's a bit silly, but I just do handstands by myself. <laughs> it wakes me up. I have a bit of fun with it. I'm also working on my handstands and the power sending stuff. And then occasionally as well, uh, if I have the time, I'll meditate, even if it's only for like one or like two minutes. Like I'll just sit there and breathe. Um, just to get the habit kind of stacked. Atomic habits, James, a great inspiration there. Um, or I'll do a 10 minute meditation or so, you know, keep it simple. And then that's my morning 20 minute routine. Then I'll walk back um, to the house. Then I can, I'll make sure I hydrate with water, some electrolytes sometimes too, maybe a green tea. Uh, and I usually fast in the morning. So I'll have like, um, I'll do that. If you want to have a coffee, sure. But I know that um, a human, a few others recommend to wait at least half an hour or an hour before after waking up before your first coffee or something. What's the science behind that? Why do you think you should be avoiding coffee? Yeah, well, for me, like, I actually don't think you should be having any one thing every single day because you're going to develop tolerance to it. So for me, I like to space out my coffee throughout the week, maybe have like two to three coffees per week on average. Uh, and I'll do that when I really like, want that extra bit of, you know, so coffee increases dopamine, um, it increases like, motivation and focus. Mm. And I kind of have a little... Maybe if I really need to do some deep work, and I'll have that then. Um, but the reason why you don't want to have it straight away is because you have actually your body's natural hormones, which can wake you up really amazingly. And so when you rely on an exogenous substance like caffeine to do that, then you're actually kind of downplaying your, your body's internal natural ability to be able to do that. So, yeah, I'd say it's just good for everyone to try, see how they can optimize their routine without any exogenous force, mm. like endogenously, and then they can uh, put in like the other stuff where it suits them best interesting and you spoke a lot about this really really healthy lifestyle that you lead and so i'm intrigued whether this has been a lifestyle you've always adopted mm, a good point yeah so i'd say I, i've definitely been like mildly obsessed about it in a good way like so I, I give myself always leeway to have a bit of you know junk food there to have a late night you know all these things um and still if i'm honest like sleep is still the number one thing that i need to work on for my health Mm. Um, but I didn't always be like this, definitely. And it was only really in the last like three to four years that I started taking it seriously. And then now it's like my icky guys, my purpose to live a healthy life myself, so I then can help others. So like for me, taking care of my body, my mind, my spirit, like that's part of my purpose every day, just to be healthy, and just to be happy. And so, um, yeah, that's it. So I guess the reason the question was how. When did I start? Oh, yeah, was yeah. It, was there a trigger for trigger. this sort of life change and focus around health? I think one big thing out of all the, like I've always been listening to podcasts in the last like, five, six years, especially accumulating little bits of knowledge here and there and starting to change my habits and reading a lot. But probably the biggest thing that I realized that was bad about our economy and our healthcare system was nutrition 
And that's because I, I worked as a cardiac physiologist uh, for about a year uh, just after my undergrad, where I got to work with cardiologists, like doctors for the heart, and I get to see the patients. So my role was doing your ECG, your blood pressure, having a chat, getting your medications, you know, seeing where you were. And I kind of like interviewed these patients every time I saw them. I just had good yarn. And I, I realized that their cholesterol was high and their blood pressure was high and they had a beta blocker and a statin to reduce those. Mm. But the underlying cause of their heart disease was probably mostly nutrition, uh, movement, stress, and then sleep. But let's just say that out of nutrition was probably the biggest driver in my mind of most of these patients. Yeah. And the doctors would almost never mention I was like in awe. Like I was like, they would have very terrible diets, let's say on average, you know. Um, and not to say anything bad about them, I think it's the health and food environment that they're in. So I don't blame the individual all of the time. I, I usually think that the place and the culture of Australia, processed food is so easy to be there. I think the US is even more so. And that's mm. why when I went to America, I was even more shocked. So let's just say that in Australia, having chicken nuggets and some chips satisfies a dinner. And I was like, dude, and tomato sauce. And I'm like, the mi- macro and micronutrient content of that meal is just yeah. not there. And that is like, and that was a big thing for me when I was working in that environment. And I was realizing that we would have these, you know, like amazing pharmacology, pharmaceutical drugs like statins developed. And statins have saved many lives. And I'm not, you know, giving them a bad day. But it's anything. about the fact that we're ignoring something, the which is, yeah. yeah, and yeah so yeah. when you talk about nutrition, would you say that there are any foods in particular which we can eat for optimal health? Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, one of the best things I've ever learned in nutrition is eat colourful. Yeah? Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. Eat no, be- no Less beige, more colour. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much, yeah. So anything processed uh, and just, just whole foods. Really. It's, actually, it's actually really simple. Yeah. Like you just need to eat foods that are actually found in nature and not like made in these, you know, big biotech reactors where they add processed cane sugar and seed mm. oils and things. Just, just eat foods that actually come out of the ground from good farms, you know? And if you can grow your food or be as close to that supply chain as possible, that has many other benefits too. Um, and I, I can deep dive into that a bit more later. But let's just say there was this one book I read, um, and I fully finished it. It's, it's actually pretty hard for me to finish a full book. I usually jump between books. And why is that? So why did I finish this book? Well, why, why, how can you jump between books? Yeah, I guess I think this uh, wonderful uh, man, his name's Naval Ravikant, so I hope to meet him one day. He's uh, been a good inspiration to me. He recommended, he says, like, read what you love until you love to read. And then also that his philosophy of reading is, like, if you can get the main point or understand something from a book, you don't, you're not obliged to finish it. You, as long as you just keep reading and keep learning, that's more important than you just, oh, I'm not going to finish this, I'm bored now, and that I'm really trying to, like, just, just let that book go, read something else that interests you. It's more ah, about the habit of reading. Yeah, than, that's than, really interesting. Yeah, so for we me, force ourselves to read books yeah. a lot of the time that we don't really enjoy. Yeah. So just keep, like, for me, like every time I read one paragraph, I like, want to be super present reading that because I really want to make sure my information diet or my sensory health is uh, great because I feel like that's like upstream of all other health is like, what you actually put in your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, touch. Mm. And, and so given that fact, when I read you know, a page of this book over here, Practicing the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, I want to remember that and I want to actually apply it. So I don't just read for theory, I read for practice. Mm. And that's a super big difference. A lot of people just read um, and, and that would just go in one ear or go in one eye and out the other. 
But for me, I, I want to read that and I really want to learn it because I want to apply it in my life to myself and then help others. So that's kind of, um, for me, when I read, I really do it as like a bit of a, like even a meditative practice, but also like uh, I'm reading for a reason. Yeah, I'm not just reading. Things. What do you think one of the, is one of the best lessons that you've learned from a book? Mm. Uh, yeah, best lessons from a book. To be honest, like maybe there's a few books that have centralized on this this truth. That, like, probably the one I've got these two sentences or two mantras, whatever you want to call them, that I've been really like saying over to myself and to others, and they are be present and seek adventure. And so, like to be present is really like the answer to everything. Yeah. Like, if you can be present and just truly be here, it also means like you're listening to yourself, listening to others. You are aware, like you have awareness of yourself and others. So if you're doing anything wrong, you'll be aware of that when you're present. Being present is like you're not worried about past trauma or past experiences that have tainted your identity. By being present, you detach yourself from every bad thing that's happened. You forgive all of that and you can just be here now. Mm. And also you're not worried about the future where you've got so many anxieties about how the world's going to go are we going to die tomorrow? Is my mom going to be okay? Is my is my yeah. dog going to be okay? Like, there's so many. My brain. <laughs> my, yeah, honestly, yeah, and, and my brain too. Like, to be honest, I'd be honest. The reason why I come back to being present is because my brain has worked like overdrive, telling me all these silly things about anxious thoughts, and so by almost like through all my suffering of my mind and the silliness that kind of the continual noise. And the self-chatter, like the programming of our evolutionary brains, forced me in some sense to seek like practices like meditation, like running. For me, when I run, I, I, a lot of the time I do it more for mental than physical health. It's really to get out of my mind and I can just be there running. And running in nature, trail running, has been one of the best things I've ever done. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was in Europe uh, a few months ago with my lovely partner, Joe, and like, that was some of the most euphoric and blissful experiences and also completely sober just run <laughs> yeah i was that that's i guess that blends quite nicely onto the next question around alcohol so mm. i am the most sober curious i've ever been in my entire life um currently not drinking alcohol Congrats. and um i have got had slash probably do have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol to be fully transparent mm. um and I do feel like it's something that I need to take out of my life mm. completely to become the person I want to be. I think it massively hinders who I want to be as a person. Mm. Um, so what is your views around alcohol? Mm. Well, my views around alcohol, interesting. To be honest, I don't, these are unnecessarily my views. They're really just like observation of other people's views literature, like a few other sources. So I like to be super, like, take myself out of it because I know I can have a biased perspective. Mm. But what I've observed, and this has been, like, in my own family, because my family's dealt with a lot of alcoholism, trauma there, and we can dive into that later. But overall, what I see in alcohol in today's society, especially the West, so to, when I say the West, um, you know, it's like, you know, Western Europe, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, like these type of countries. Um, but I'd say the West, since the, the, the global like, hegemony, 
has kind of been dominated by the West. Uh, alcohol as the West's main drug of choice, and caffeine, if I'm honest, caffeine and alcohol, two yeah. big ones, has been exported to even the East and uh, many other cultures which didn't exist to have alcohol integrated in their culture. Um, an example maybe in Australia is the alcoholism in our indigenous population is extremely high and it causes so much suffering. If you if you uh, if you're going to dig into it, like a, I'd encourage you in some way. But if you spend time in communities uh, in the bush, in the outback in Australia, you will know that diabetes, so an addiction to food, yeah, and an addiction to uh, an addiction to alcohol, uh, and probably smoking as well, like nicotine, uh, are like the three biggest like killers. Killers. Gambling too. I'm going to add one. Yeah. So food, alcohol, nicotine, gambling, like. Caffeine is much less harmful, I'd say, but there can also be an addiction too, to be honest. But I'd say these four are, like, just huge. And I, I've witnessed, like, people who are fully fully addicted to X. I used to work at the car park at the casino in Perth, and I used to see the same people come every day, and they would drive a pretty bad car, but they'd be, like, a black platinum member. So they're spending tens of thousands of dollars gambling, but their car's worth, like, $4,000. And I was, like, I really couldn't believe it that, this was just being perpetuated. And then yeah. guess what else is at the casino? Well, alcohol. Yeah. Oh, get, oh, they, they, they come together. You know? Well, it's one addiction to another almost. Really is, yeah. And then the smoking room. So we're pretty much what I think about alcohol and all addiction is that we have created an environment in society in the modern day, especially in the West, where it's so easy to be addicted. We get, give everything to you. Like if you were to just think first principles, when I walk down the street, I've got a tobacco store, and then I've got an alcohol store where I can buy stuff. I can buy these things easier than I can go find a local like sauna or an ice bar. Yeah, I can find a literally. local bit of nature where I can meditate in and be me. Like you, we pretty much just have set up society, especially urban to environments, revolve around to revolve around drugs. Drugs, yeah, and these <laughs> silly things. Yeah, and we, we say, oh, why are we so unhealthy? And I go, well, because your bloody city is littered with these things, and no yeah. one's doing almost anything about yeah. it. Yeah. Unhealthy food too is just, is just littered among all stores. You know those the easy marts and the little convenience stores. For me, uh, I, I'm a bit uh, wacky about this, but I go in and I sometimes take photos and video of these stores because I want to document the health environment of this era. Because I do believe that that easy mart or the Coles or Woolies or, or any grocery store is a health company. They are serving either medicine or you could say poison to hit yeah. the population and the fact that you just, they, they keep serving this processed food at your fingertips so conveniently it's like it's so convenient to be unhealthy but we need to make health a convenience and that's why the blue zones and what the blue zones project does uh, and you can look into that too it's beautiful and i've had a lovely chat to the ceo ben um with my colleague Stephen. the blue zones uh by the way, just to tell everyone who doesn't understand, the Blue Zones are five places around the world which demographers have observed have the highest life expectancy and also happiness. Like these, these populations are very content yeah. uh, and they live great lives. They have, uh, and the five are Okinawa, Japan, okay? yeah. Ikaria, Greece. You have these, these towns in Sardinia, Italy. Uh, you have uh, Loma Linda in California. So that's like the only one in the West, actually. And then you have the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Yeah, I watched the Netflix documentary on Amazing. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and it was really interesting. And there was a massive focus a lot of the time on 
nutrition, positive mm. thinking, movement, yes. all those sorts of things. But, but carry on about this yeah, project. Yeah, so pretty much the long story short, though, when I realized when observing the Blue Zones and reading the book and all these things, yeah. and I'd recommend you dive a bit into it. Um, the Ikigai book as well talks a bit about the Okinawa Blue Zone. Yeah. And so the, for them, they are so healthy and so happy. Why? It's because it's ingrained their lifestyle and culture. And because they actually have no other choice to be healthy. Like in some sense, they don't have processed food at their fingertips. They have to earn every meal. They have to walk up the mountain. They have to like live in harmony with nature. Mm. And so for me, I was like, oh, you have to make health the most convenient thing for a population to be healthy. And I actually think about this in evolutionary biology terms or even ecology terms, where if I were to say, let's say we have a population of birds and I'm putting little bits of like processed food in the bird environment, just scattered here and there, are the birds going to be unhealthy? Yes. So they're going to eat what's around them. Humans are really no different. Like I think we think we put ourselves on a pedestal and I think we are a very beautiful creature and, and homo sapiens wise human. Like we are a phenomenal, like um, phenomenal product of evolution. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love humans. It's my favorite animal, right? It's just humans. But what I have observed is that we like put all these unhealthy things in our environments and then we expect us to be healthy. It's like, no, like, you put all the unhealthy things in the environment, you get unhealth. And a quote that comes to mind uh, that my lovely partner Joe um, recommended me to say is, our environment is stronger than our will. So you really need to really see, like, what is your environment? What is your health environment? And that includes your family. That includes your friends. Uh, another quote is, you are the product of the five people you spend yeah, time with. Yeah, so true. Yeah, and not just in, like, health and happiness in wealth in mindset in your, your habits because it, it really is very practical because when let's say one of your friends wants to eat food and i've had the i've got friends who are beautiful but i now don't see as much um actually kind of luckily because i moved to sydney so i can recreate all my friends and that's been huge for me in self-development but like you know friends say oh you want to get some chicken wings at our local like you know bar and like back in the day, yeah, I didn't have all this health stuff then. Like, you know, uni, oh, yeah, let's go get a burger, some chips, get a beer. I'd always be like saying yes to this stuff. And then I realized like, oh, wow, like what if I, I don't want to eat this? Like, do I say no? Do I not hang out How with do them? I deal with? How do I deal with this? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a big problem people face when they want to be healthy because they probably either have to get rid of some friends or help influence those friends too. Or deal with the fact that you are going to be different and it's going to be uncomfortable. So mm. like, for example, yeah. this weekend I'm going to a bottomless brunch nice. yeah. and it will be my first ever bottomless brunch where I'm not drinking. Wow. And um, How much are you paying, by the way, may I ask? So I'm paying, it's in Manly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anybody listening in the UK to have a lot of UK followers, Manly is an area in Sydney. Beautiful. <laughs> and it's and amazing. Manly is a blue zone. And, and it, Manly is a blue zone. And well. it's a beautiful place. Um, but yeah, we're going to Tommy's Margarita. So it's all focused around Mexican and margaritas. Margaritas yeah. are my favorite cocktail. And, um, I, it was, uh, I think it's $90 for bottomless. Yeah. Do they have like an alcoholic, non-alcoholic price or is it the same? So there is a non-alcoholic price and, yeah. and going on to, which is like 65, but going on to that a little bit. And, and I guess this might help the list, anybody listen who's going through this as well. Mm. But I spent the last week in my head about telling my friend that to the point where I was like, do I make up, sorry, if she's listening to this, do I make up that I'm, uh, that I'm actually unwell? 
um, because I don't, I, I, I really don't want to be in this environment, but it's her birthday and mm. she's my closest friend in Australia. Yeah. I've met her here. And um, what do I do? Do I tell her that I don't want to drink? She won't care. She might care. She might think I'm boring. And I created this whole thing in my head. And this morning I was like, right, I'm cutting it fine. She needs to, t- I, need, I need to tell them that I don't want alcohol there because I don't want to be even given the temptation of a bottomless brunch of where, mm. where I have to drink. Um, I sent her this long message this morning. Like, I'm, like I've been really anxious to send you this. I'm really sorry. Um, but I, I want to come, but I also don't want to drink. I don't want it to be this huge fuss, but I really want to do this for me because mm. I've been really I was really struggling after Christmas and and um I do think that alcohol does affect me a lot more yeah. so more than I realise and I feel like it's maybe not about removing it completely but mm. reassessing my relationship with alcohol is yeah. really important. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I was like, Well, I'm if I'm quitting out alcohol, that means I have to lose all my friends because I, I can't hang around with all these people because they're gonna be drinking alcohol but Actually, I think you need to learn how to practice self-discipline and be mm. around these people yeah. and it'd be okay not to drink alcohol. Mm. And if those people no longer want you in your life because you don't want a burger and chips or you don't mm. want to go for a beer and you want to do something different, they're not your friends in the first place. Mm. And also you can be in those environments and you should be able to be in those yeah. environments and choose a salad or choose a healthier option mm. or choose non-alcoholic beer without feeling like you're going to be judged and I think that's one of the biggest issues with sobriety is the questioning around or not even sobriety but just being sober curious and, and wants mm-hmm. to reduce it's like why are you not drinking what what, what what why are you not having a drink oh have a drink and it's like um it doesn't allow for people to at least yeah. try to reduce alcohol or try to be mm-hmm. healthier so yeah amazing no honestly I think it's actually pretty good analysis of like, the current culture but the cool thing is that i think we've observed it is changing a bit yeah and, like, the non-alcoholic beers have popped off in the last couple of years and they that's, taste so good yeah <laughs> and, and that's awesome like, i actually love all the companies there for, for me these need to be cheaper than alcohol so there's another incentive to have yeah, alcoholic. yeah, yeah. But, whereas some, some of the companies ch- like, charge a markup for the health people and i'm like dude like you want to incentivize like not like you know having less so i think that's one another one is like the, the health menus so a lot of places like that don't actually offer any healthy dishes at the restaurant that really excludes those who really are trying to eat well and so mm-hmm. i think if we can have a an effort that's like quite as organized to help restaurants be incentivized to change menus to offer more healthy options and also ones that are vegetarian or, or vegan perhaps but it's more important that they source even their meats and other things from more sustainable like supply chains because right now like you know you'll go to most restaurants that, that and like let's say I, I just won't eat anything on the menu like personally like I, I would rather fast and i'm very happy fasting you know but like it really sucks when i go to a restaurant and a friend wants to eat there there's nothing that i would want for myself and there's like a tension so for me like if you can have yeah. a society where at least you have the optionality of having healthy food always and not just unhealthy food that's beautiful because then you at least have a choice because when you don't have a choice it's, like, it's terrible right and a good example is at airports uh, when sometimes you don't have any possibility of having healthy food. So for me, I've like traveled around to places and I just have to like fast. And so I've gotten good at fasting now, but many people, like it's tough to fast. And, and it's tough for me as well. Like I'm hungry. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I can't fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it's, it's one of those things where I think in places, yeah. especially like 
on the airplane is another environment. Like there's no healthy food on the airplane. They just give you alcohol in a tray and then you can buy consumer goods with a credit card. And I'm just like, dude, like, can I please get some fruit? Like even like a banana. And, you know, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's like a big one where like, especially in health environments where there's no other choice, like to really encourage companies and corporates to do their part for this next like, way yeah. of healthcare. Yeah, and I see food as one of the biggest, most important industries for health. Um, I think most people do as well, to be honest. And that, yeah, people think health is this thin slice of health insurer, health provider, hospitals, GPs, specialists, and then your consumer. And, you know, even health economics, they tell you about this, like, healthcare like thing. But, but for me, healthcare, when you have a holistic view, a systems view, every industry, including agriculture, into, like, urban planning and how we plan our cities and walkability mm. and cyclability with bike paths into like how we plan our schools and the canteen food we serve and how we yeah. educate our kids uh, to be healthy as well like when corporate environments when they give free alcohol like they're, they're playing a big role in health like do you have non-alcoholic options or are you just and if you don't have non-alcoholic options do you make people feel like oh you know what? i get free booze or I get nothing. Okay, I'm going to go for the free booze. Yeah, and it's almost like discriminating against those people who want to make healthier life choices. It so it's like my, I was speaking to my mum about this bottomless brunch, and I was like, she's like, well, surely they have a, a non-alcoholic option for people who don't want to drink. Yeah, do they? No. Yeah, see, that's the thing I was So they say. don't even have, a, what they could do is offer the non-alcoholic cocktails, yeah. or it's cheaper, yeah. or you could get it the same. So you feel like you're included. You feel like you're part of yes. this community. You feel like yeah. you're part of the celebration yeah. without feeling like, because it will be just me who isn't drinking. Yeah. And so all wow. of a sudden, I'm... By the way, I respect the self-control. Thank you. Now, honestly, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it it's needs good. to happen yeah. for me, and it will be the... Um, the biggest thing I've done so far um, in terms of putting myself in a situation like that, especially with margaritas, because they are literally my favorite drink. Um, So uh, I'm intrigued to see if if they will make me a non-alcoholic cocktail tomorrow, actually. True, true. Um, But yeah, they don't, they don't allow for it. And it's like, and and bottomless brunches are very much revolved around how can we get the most drunk as possible in the time that we have? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually such a good point. Yeah. So one thing I, so we're kind of painting a bit of a, a bad picture of the world, let's say. And it's true. I think these are big problems we need to solve. But one, like, solution that I've come across in the last uh, two weeks, actually. Yeah. So I went to this wonderful festival called Lost Paradise, which is about an hour, an hour north of Sydney in the Central Coast area. Wow. It's beautiful land. Like, honestly, it's like Jurassic Park vibes. Yeah. I'd, I'd encourage anyone listening to this to one day you know, go to Sydney and go explore, like, the <laughs> national parks above and the Central Coast. And so this festival called Lost Paradise, they obviously have bars there which serve like your Red Bull vodkas and everything too. You know, like, and for me, like I, I also had uh, had a, had to reassess my relationship with alcohol. And even though I still drink every now and then, I haven't gone full cold turkey. I was considering doing it back in 2023, and I said to one of my best friends, Nick, I said, Nick, shall I go cold turkey this year? And he said, you know what, Reynolds, I think you have a healthy relationship with alcohol, and it's better to find that middle ground and be an example for that. And they go full cold turkey and yeah. just like say it's bad. And for me, I don't think alcohol is bad. And I think alcohol can be used with intention and ceremonially and also to, you know, break enhance, bread and enhance right? yeah. social yeah. experience. And, and so that's why when alcohol is used in a great environment at the right dose, yeah. then it become like a bit of a medicine. But as soon as it goes above that, thing, it's poisonous. And so everything has this medicinal and this poisonous dose. Uh, and you need to just really do what's right for you and that situation. Yeah. Taking a step back again, back to Lost Paradise Festival. 
I was so happy with this. They had like the, the bars, right? And guess what they also had? They had a sacred cacao bar. And they serve wonderful cacao, okay, which is also actually a medicine in Central and South America for thousands of years. And it actually also has heart opening and it's slightly caffeinating as well. So it gets you like a bit more stimulating, but it really wow. feels relaxed in the body. And so for me, I was like, I bought, I think, like eight cacaos <laughs> during the festival. And it was $7 for a latte cacao and then 13 for like a milkshake cold one. So at nighttime, I'll get the lattes, a warm one, and like during the day. And well, how would it make you feel? Well, it just made me feel like alive. It made me feel great. And it made me feel that I was able to participate in like nice kind of fancier drink without having to go for alcohol. So it was the fact that I had an option. So yeah. if a friend was getting a beer, you know, I could have a, have a cacao with his beer. And we could just cheers and feel good together. And I thought that was phenomenal. And the best thing about this cacao bar, uh, the, the founder, Jacob, as well, pretty much their team is what wonderful, like, shout out to Sacred Cacao. I actually bought some to take home as well. But they sourced their cacao from 350 indigenous families uh, in Central and South America. I think it might be Peru, but I could be wrong. It was so wonderful that I knew what I was buying with my $7, my yeah. $13 for supporting the families. And they go yeah, direct to so source. Nice. And it was made with love. Like they even had, um, actually, there was four types. You get like love cacao, um, like the uh, fire cacao, like earth cacao, and like something else, like uh, a bit vitality cacao or so. And like they had like spices with them. So it was like kind of a fancy drink. It was like this is a so bit of mint, cool. a bit of like rose, a bit of, you know, this and that. And so for me, I was getting a great user experience. Like, I bring it back to yeah. like, software startup stuff. I was still getting like a great in-person UX while having this cacao. And I was like, dude, this is amazing. And uh, and we just need more options. Like, like That's so imagine cool. in the city, sacred cacao bar, like a non-alcoholic fancy a... bar where you can. Yeah, and, and then I think that's becoming more of a thing. I know in the UK they're trialing it. There's a few in London, and I think maybe in other areas where they're trying these alcohol-free bars, or mm. they're doing alcohol-free hours. Mm. So, for example, Friday it will be between like seven till eight pm. It's alcohol-free only. And so it allows people to still enjoy a Friday night and still feel part of the drinking culture without drinking, which yeah. I think is such a great idea. Mm. And I wonder if that's exists in Sydney. Maybe that's something that's so. Maybe something we could do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Quite a few business ideas already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this is also like, for me, the reason why this stuff isn't done is because there is an economic incentive for it not to happen. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, I think the externality, there is a positive externality in this happening. But the, the, the entity that captures this value is actually Medicare in Australia, so it's our government, yeah. and health insurers as well. Because they have a reduction in healthcare costs that won't be realised for like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So you not drinking today or been drinking today is going to reduce your healthcare costs. Not tomorrow because you won't pay any more tomorrow, but you will have to pay for like a liver transplant or something crazy in 40 years' time if your mm. liver dies. Or you will have diabetes because your liver health is related to diabetes and like the whole body is this beautiful system that I've realized where everything's interconnected and that's why food affects everything, sleep affects everything, stress affects everything. Like it's this wonderful system of the body and mind. And yeah, we, we just really need like options and people to like take the charge on an individual level, on like a business level, like a community level and say, hey, we're going to do this. A happy hour, you know the happy hour using cheap drinks, but with this happy hour, 
we are non-alcoholic or XYZ. And that to be something that we do with our mission as opposed to having an economic reason to do it. Because technically, you know, you might sell less drinks in that hour or none at all. And that's okay if you're mission aligned. If you want to just create a beautiful space where everyone can be there, yeah. inclusive, and you care about health. Or you can just be super economic driven every single minute and just say, we want to maximize ourselves in every hour. Because, you know, I worked in management sorting before and what I realized serving corporates and, and with all due respect to our fellow corporates out there, just the economic machine is so strong that there's always going to be a force for reaching that KPI for sales, yes. producing your cost of your supply chain for doing this. And pretty much what that happens, when you have that force that drives the entire machine, the humanity, the well-being, the love, the community, and the health—these things aren't prioritized. Yeah, they're a backseat, realistically. Yeah, they're real backseat. Always. Yeah, and so we need to just put that in the front seat, and then we use the economic incentives of capitalism. You know, some of the beautiful principles of socialism, kind of just interweave these where it makes sense. Because I love productivity and efficiency and, and all the wonderful things that capitalism brings, mm. but I also think that we must be way more cooperative. And right now, our capitalism is a competitive paradigm where I'm competing with you to get this next customer. We should be thinking, how can we all cooperate and serve our customers and serve the world and the planet and do that in a way which does it justice? Because at the moment, we just have so many entities and so many people who don't think big and they don't think about the really meaningful questions of life. Mm. They're just thinking about how do I... Make more money, be make more, more successful. Money. Yeah, yeah. But also, I don't blame them too because they're probably just trying to make more money for their own family, for their own you know, kids. So I, I understand that, but we just need to say, how can I make money for myself and my family and my yeah. community, not at the cost of others? And that's where like the economics study I did in my undergrad, and I still think about economics every day and I still do these things. I realized we, we just needed an economy which um, has every single externality correct. So if there's positive externalities, we over we invest more there. And if there's negative externalities, we find a way to reduce consumption or production there. Mm. And we just if you correct all externalities in all directions, you actually have the perfect economy, to be honest, with no market failure. But we just haven't got there yet. All I want to do in my Ikigai, in my life's mission, is help us get to that kind of like wonderful economy. And there is a book, actually, which I'd recommend the audience uh, Again, I only read like two chapters of the book, but, but I felt like I, I got the main message from it. It's called Wellbeing Economics. And pretty much, I read it when I was in Amsterdam at a library in Amsterdam. It's beautiful. Uh, I forgot the author's name, um, but a lovely lady, um, she pretty much is saying we need to rethink how all our economic decisions and our models are, where we prioritize the well-being of humans, mm. animals, other creatures, and the planet at large in every decision. So pretty much the whole economy is now uh, incorporating, like, yeah. when I care for my auntie or my grandma, that's uh, my time is going to some labor, and I can quantify that economic output as care. And that is part of this, like, economic model. Whereas in the normal day, like, doing stuff like care, doing stuff like um, service and volunteering is not an economic thing. They think, oh, that's free. That's, like, not economic. No, that is but economic. in serving others, we serve ourselves. Is, yes. Is true, yeah. That's, yeah. Give and you shall receive. Yeah. So beautiful. And going back to the the nature aspect, mm. if um for the listeners, how can they incorporate nature into their daily routine or life to 
how better their health? What are some of the habits that they can take? Mm, okay. I guess I'll, I'll do like top three habits. Yeah, top three habits. Top three habits, yeah. This is just off the top of my mind. I haven't thought too much about this. <laughs> For one, you need a practice of solitude, okay? Solitude, um, uh, think maybe mindful practice. Just practice where you can be yourself and be by yourself. Just think, yeah, just think, reflect. Just like honor your own time. A lot of people are kind of scared of being by themselves in their own thoughts. For me, I, I, this is also a bit me as well, but I guess meditation helped there for me. So for me, like when I'm out in nature by myself, I actually have a great time. I'm there with my own thoughts. Uh, journaling is a practice of solitude for me where I can like get clarity of mind and thought. So pretty much like you can choose whatever practice you want and journaling might work for some, meditation for others. Breath work is a great path for meditation in my mind because it's easier to focus on the breath and to like not be, not be sure of what to focus on. Um, and so having a practice where you're just alone and you can be with yourself and you get to know yourself more and you reflect, you think, how can I be better? How can I serve others more? Like just asking yourself these very simple but deep questions. It's number one. So like everyone needs to have some sort of practice that's mindful in solitude. I stack this with nature. So I do my journaling a lot of the time with like a community setting and I feel like that's natural to, to mm. gather together therapy vibes uh, or i do my journaling at the park bench i was talking about before with the view or when i'm in the national park i'll bring my journal with me while my book and i'll do some things so or i meditate in nature meditating in nature just hands down wim hof on a mountain as well you've done wim hof breathwork wim hof on a mountain like hits the spot <laughs> so that's the first one number two is actually having a consistent like the routine to go to nature um, and I'd say do this with other people as well. It's easier to do it with others, to hold you accountable. Uh, I've got a great friend, Adam. So shout out to Adam. He made a group chat last year called uh, Trail Running in Nature. And he added about 10 of his friends in there. And he said, every Saturday morning, um, I'm going to go find some nature and run it. Yeah, consistently. And, and the reason why I did it is because he realized if he does something on a Saturday morning, he probably has to go to sleep earlier on the Friday night. So he's not going to be out all night clubbing with other friends. So for him, it was actually a way of cutting off his Friday night. That's actually really, really good. And I love mm. that idea. Yeah. And so he made this group chat and I thought it was such an amazing idea. And, and we and we don't even go every week necessarily. And, and we still need to go probably up. We haven't gone for a little bit as well. But let's just say that the fact that this is a consistent recurring thing in nature and it was done with people or community, so good because it reduces friction. Because how I think about like um, habits is like habits is an autopilot what you do in your life. It's habitual. And so if you don't have something that's recurring and something that's easy for you and that you've done before and that requires a lot of thought to plan, you're probably not going to do it every day or every week or every month. So having something in place, like a, a mechanism, is super key. So yeah, so so number one is that, that practice of like mindful solitude, whatever you want to do there. Number two is like doing it with other friends. That's given me way. an idea because I set up a group when I got here to, mm. to Sydney and there's um, – there's like a hundred girls in it now. Nice. This just is just snowballed, and I mentioned in there about doing a sunrise walk, yeah. and it was one of those things that like everyone was kind of responding and saying yes, but there's so many people in the group that it's almost hard to figure out who actually wants to do it. And so it's just given me the idea to make a separate group inside that group for a morning sunrise walk, and I'm going to make this part of my weekly routine where 
we we do a walk, a sunrise walk, or some, and that's okay, connecting so with nature. nature really, life, yeah. yeah. Actually, seeing the sun transition for me is one of the most beautiful things yeah, because I it, love it it actually forces you to be in the present moment because you know it's so like rare to see that like go down. So like for me, like I've observed like especially in Perth and WA and the West Coast, sunsets in the water every day. And I can't like, wait to see that. Yeah, next yeah, week. Actually, <laughs> Family in Perth. Yeah. Um, like the whole like population at the beach just sits there in awe of the sunset. Like me too. I'm just like watching this. I love the sunset. Yeah, and and for me, I'm like that's such a grounding practice that is in nature, and it helps everyone actually sleep better because when you see that orange wavelength of light, it releases your natural melatonin um in your body. You know, in the hours after, and so sunsets are like a, a banging and. The city, unfortunately, with all the buildings, you can't actually see the sunset. Yeah, because a lot of my listeners, I guess, will be in the UK and in America, maybe. Mm. So they don't mm. at this time of year, especially. I know yeah, that sunrise, sunrises and sunsets aren't the best, but that it's isn't the only option, is it? Like you said, yeah. you can you can do a trail run in nature anywhere in the world, yeah. and you can even just schedule. 30 minutes in the morning to get mm. up and go for a walk before you're on your phone. That's yeah, your schedule yeah. time in nature. Yeah. And I think like you can, you've got to be like, um, like there's obviously an ideal scenario with every habit and everything you want to do, but just find like your minimum viable, like product version of what you need to do. So let's say like to see a sunset, you just need flat ground ish. So you should, maybe you can find a local park and, and the sunset there will be at least not as obstructed. And that would be a great time where you can see the sunset. Mm. You know, like obviously the water's perfect; it goes right at the rise. You know, um, but yeah, just find like somewhere where it's relatively like flat, or you can find a viewpoint as well, obviously, where you can see other things, mm. and hopefully that's within twenty, thirty minutes of wherever you are, just to go see the sunset more often during the week. For me, like I get to see the sunset from that viewpoint, and I I look out to the west and I get to see it, and I'm like, every time I sit there and meditate during that kind of sunset era. I, it makes my whole night go better, you know. Yeah, I don't get to see too many sunrises. I definitely am not an early bird. <laughs> yeah. But when I get to do see a sunrise, to me, that's, that's truly special. So, yeah. That's, yeah. And so, number one, number two, and, yeah. and, what, and what's number three? Yeah, number three, yeah. Number three, um, in terms of practice for nature, is to listen more. Yeah. So, like listening. Uh, what I mean by that is listen to your own body, uh, and listen to your own mind. Uh, in a very like uh, philosophical deep way where like so this is not necessarily like um you, the other ones are, like going to nature like, do, to do something this one here is more understanding that you are nature and that you are natural mm-hmm. so just to do things that are natural to you so as a bit of a habit of practice it's like uh what's a good example one of this, this is a great traditional Chinese medicine doctor. He once told me, he said, sometimes like people do this cosmic mudra meditation thing, but they go like right hand over left or left over right. And like some, some like, you know, monks been meditating, like, okay, it has to be this way over here. For him, he said, just do what was natural to you. So if your hands go like this, or hands go like this, that's okay. Just do what was natural to you. So just like if you are like, feel like you, you, you have to push against yourself or some other thing to let something happen. It's probably not right. Just, like, sit back, reflect. Just just do what feels natural to you. So maybe, like, if you, um, if you feel like napping or sleeping, just, just go for a nap. I like, like that. You know, just do it. Like, if, if you uh, have an activity that you're organizing and it's too hectic or chaotic and you feel like 
you need to just calm down and rest. Just, just you know, put it out there, do what's natural to you. Just kind of like live in harmony with your own nature. Yeah. So let kind things of like, flow, yeah. Let things flow. Yeah, yeah let, we let have this flow. conversation. Yeah. Yeah, flow is a beautiful word. So just kind of like if you were to be like a river, you've got like a blockage of like sticks or something, just like let it go, let it flow. Just do what is easy and natural. Like you shouldn't, life actually doesn't have to be that hard. And this is kind of a Taoist way of thinking about things, but it's like effortless action or effortless effort. It's like, it's called a Wu Wei. It's a beautiful principle. One of probably the most impactful things I've ever learned about and then applied. So it's, mm. it's easy to read the Tao Te Ching or listen to it, but to apply this principle of effortless action where you're doing things, but it's like effortlessly. So you're not even trying. And I feel like that is what we all need to get to is our own creative flow where we are just like living in this earth without having to try. We're just being, yeah. And so like that listening to yourself and listening to what's natural. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just being. So, you, so if I were to give the, the three again, it's like solitude. Yeah. Um, like a nature, brute, like habit. Yeah. And then three would be like being. Yeah. yeah. And being is like you're being natural. You're being in harmony with your own nature. And in terms of um, flow, just just briefly while you've just mentioned that, because I don't know if some listeners might not know what that means. What do you think it means to be in flow? Yeah, beautiful, yeah. One, one thing I'd recommend people flow, well, there's a book by um, Chesley Mihai. I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> there's a book on flow. I actually haven't fully read it. I've read a bit of it. But for me, flow is the state of being where you have like optimal performance of all your faculties, mind mm. and body, and, and it's like effortless. Like, and you you know that you're supposed to be right here in the present. Yeah, being in flow is being in the present. Being in flow, when I think about the yin yang and the Tao, is is at the balance of chaos and order. You're right at the center. Being in flow is when you like don't have any worries about past or future, and you can just be in the now. And that you're also at your zone of proximal development. Mm. So you're pushing yourself, but not too much, not too little. It just feels natural to just be doing whatever you're doing yeah. and, and, and but enjoying what you're doing at the yeah, same time yeah. as well. And, and, and it's more of focus on the process and the destination. It's not, yeah. Yeah. It's like the journey of flow is actually what flow is. And that's kind of what the, the Tao means in like Tao Te Ching. It's like the way or the path. So instead of focusing on the destination, Wherever that may be, you're focusing on like every present moment and how to get there. And so you can be in flow when picking up groceries. I'm picking up groceries. Like you can be in flow at every moment, technically. Mm. Most people get in flow when they're doing something creative, when they're like making music, when they're like, even when I'm on my laptop and I'm just doing tasks, like uh, I can be in flow. Music helps me get in flow. So, probably like a big, like a big one music is medicine. Like, and I really want this like term, even like music as medicine, to be like, push forward because oh, it really is though because for me like i've had my most healing experience with music yeah with other people humans other humans the community in nature and music and that's why i'm such a big fan of like um raves in nature <laughs> because i know that sounds a bit <laughs> these can be very wholesome like i actually hosted one for my birthday about two years ago with my mom you know my family oh wow nephews, and we, we had we camping out for a night i love that and we just had like my mom and a dad and stuff and a few other friends and prepared um, some food and like, a few of us camped out and we just had the DJ decks 
we had some art supplies, and we were just out there, like, yeah, in nature, in the outback in Australia. I just had a wonderful afternoon. It didn't have to be this alcoholic food rampage at all. It was just very pure and very blissful. Wow, yeah, that sounds that, amazing. Yeah, so yeah, so I reckon like, just doing stuff like that is just phenomenal. Um, that should definitely be more of a thing. I know that there are maybe in Sydney there might be these sort of graves where it's not focused around alcohol, it's in nature. Mm. I'm sure you know. Yeah, there there definitely are some. There's a few like festivals that probably embody that spirit. There's one called the like, Love Festival, for example. Uh, yeah, I haven't been to it yet, but friends have you know, said great things where um, there's like kids there and everything. It's very wholesome. But people like dance, you know, to both uh, live music and amplified music. There's like a balance there. Um, there's many actually these type of festivals. But the funny thing is that a lot of them are kind of like underground. And what I mean is like they don't post publicly about them. Yeah. They're very like community kind of driven. And that's where the, the most of them are non-profit as well. And that's the thing. Like they're, they're not really for any commercial gain. They're just to create an experience. And the community. That is very therapeutic. Yeah, yeah they're very like um, connecting. And so I've been super blessed to be in touch with these sort of events and communities. Um, and they've been extremely therapeutic for myself. Like, I, I've had amazing memories, you know, with my, my partner, with my best friends, you know, dancing and just dancing away all the fear, dancing away all the worries and anxiety. Because, you know, yeah, dance is medicine, music is medicine. Yeah. yeah it's and... Just on that topic, and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but obviously raves can be centred sometimes around drugs, and I know that these love raves are very can have like a psychedelic focus. Um, is this something that you've engaged with? And you don't have to answer that question, but what are your views on psychedelic drugs? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for one, I think I, even though the term drugs, I think is problematic, Drugs do have negative connotations to it mm. as well. Um, but maybe you can think about a drug as like a synthesized exogenous substance. Uh, and so then psychedelics would be, like, you know, it still be drugs, let's say. Uh, I think Sam Harris has a great thing I'd recommend everyone listen to or read. It's called Drugs and the Meaning of Life. Yeah, and, and it's actually from his book, Waking Up, but he's got an audio version. It's also in the Tim Ferriss show, too, which is beautiful. And so a lot of my views started listening to that that was probably my first introduction to psychedelics um my first like really like deep thinking about it and that was back in 2016 mm. in my first year of my undergrad and and since then i really got curious about psychedelics so like for me i, I want to break down the term for people so psychedelic psyche means mind and delia means to manifest or to reveal so if you Never really are oh, beautiful yeah so if you really just think about what psychedelic means and, and the term is also loaded like i want to be mindful that the term drugs, the term psychedelics, has a lot of baggage. So well, what I'm trying to talk about is on a very first principle level of what it means to me. So, so but psychedelic, I actually kind of like the term. So psyche, mind's reveal. And so these substances, psychedelics, traditionally are like psilocybin, that's from magic mushrooms, found in nature. Um, LSD, lysergic acid, diethylamide, that's synthesized um, by our good friend Alfred Hoffman in Switzerland. And, and that was uh, during World War II, he synthesized that. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And they call that the, um, like the atomic bomb of love uh, in um, the book I today, where the, the bomb for Hiroshima and Nagasaki was developed within a month of LSD. And so, so the atomic bomb was dropped, uh, probably the most destructive thing humans could ever create in terms of like death. Mm. And now humans also created the most possibly beautiful synthesized 
to thing as well. Uh, psilocybin is, is obviously very similar. Um, they're, they're both um, in the same class of substances, and they both target the 5-HTP2A serotonin receptor. Mm. Um, DMT is also a traditional psychedelic as well. And so pretty much with these like, tryptamines, they elicit, if I were to break it down, psychedelics for me, when you have them, you kind of uh, have a bit of a shortcut cheat code to being in a very present mindful state mm. where you are just content with existence itself. And serotonin is kind of a hormone of contentment. So dopamine is like motivation, I want to do more. When you have serotonin, you're like, I'm good, I'm happy. I'm good. So if you think about like psychedelics, they're increasing your serotonin and you just feel like, I can just be me. I can just be here now. And so it, it's very intertwined with meditation and these practices of mindfulness because you can be able to get to this, these psychedelic states through non-psychedelic drugs, through non-psychedelic means. Uh, and like just meditation is one, for me, like in dancing in nature, these sort of things are quite psychedelic experiences where you reveal a lot about the mind mm. and who you are, but not necessarily taking these logic substances. And so for me, and mindful of our audience as well, everyone's on different journeys with their psychedelic use, uh, or, or for those who haven't had them yet, I'd recommend like really just looking into the ancient wisdom and literature on psychedelics. So what I mean by that is looking into how, I, I guess, how to change your mind. Michael Pollan is a great introductory kind of to this sort of world as well. So he's done the journalistic. I've work. heard a lot about that stuff. Well. Yeah, but I'd also recommend looking into like how the Mexicans uh, and, and ancient, you know. Um, indigenous people use uh, mushrooms and psilocybin for healing because uh, this beautiful um, this beautiful like, mentor of mine uh, she's a healer, her name's Devi Chandra she runs um, these wonderful retreats um, over in Portugal and so one, one beautiful thing is that she taught me is that she actually doesn't like the word psychedelic and that's because she just calls them ancient medicines or medicines. Mm. Because their use is in her culture, which I've taken as mine as all in some regard, has been just for healing and medicinal use. So you can use psychedelics for anything. You can use it for creativity, you can use it for recreation, because it is very fun, you know, all this amazing stuff. Your senses are enhanced. Yeah. But for her, mushrooms and psilocybin were put on this earth to help humans heal from our traumas and that was their purpose to, to, that whatever you believe in the creation story of the world is that psilocybin was meant to target our receptors in our brain to help us reach states of consciousness to, to, to reflect and look back and heal ourselves and, and that's beautiful like that kind of story and I, I love it because it brings psychedelics to a very intentional lens mm -hmm. where Psychedelics are no longer, like, in essence, like, for me, like, I, I personally would never use psychedelics just recreationally, at least now, because what I've realized is that they're so beautiful and precious mm. that, that not using them with intention is not even doing them their justice. Yeah, and so that's why I, I really encourage people to be super intentional with their psychedelic use. Yeah. And to also make sure that they have the best set and setting, 
to prepare. And I believe that the more you prepare, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. It's very simple. experience, yeah. Yeah, and so that's why, like, my first time I had ever taken psychedelics or these plant medicines um, was in 2020 uh, during COVID, about, like, September, October, August time. And I had started learning about them and, and being pretty, like, into the literature, like, hundreds of hours type stuff since 2016 so for me four years of like really dedicated time understanding what these were what dosage i could take like i was researching you know the lsd like 50 micrograms 150 micrograms do i want a microdose do i want to have a quarter of a tab a half a tab you know all these different things yeah the psilocybin is it one gram two grams heroic dose five grams you know i would learn all this sort of stuff understand my body weight how like they affect different people different brains It, it is a very complex kind of thing and so what I would kind of encourage people to do is just to learn more about them, listen to yourself, understand, are you taking these for the right reason? What's your real intention behind them? And for me, I think the truth that come out of use, let's say, of psilocybin of mushrooms in particular, is the barrier between the self, like the ego, and other people, and nature, that tree, that plant, that book. Starts to dissolve, so, so you become one with the other person, everything, yeah, and everything. And you know that seems a bit wacky for those who haven't experienced a similar thought or feeling, but it actually kind of makes sense very logically. And the reason is because, like, you are the product of every single thing around you, including the people sitting next to you mm-hmm. and how they interact with you, and that plant and the oxygen it's producing, and like the light and how it's helping you see, like. You are everything, and you are just a vessel to observe all that experience of the world. And so after having you know, intentional psychedelic use, my whole life has changed because every single moment now, this truth of oneness, like, of like a, a universal love, like unity, pervades my existence, where like, I'm super like grateful in every moment, you know. And sometimes I fall into like bad moods, and we, we all get back into that. But, but recurringly, I remind myself of the wisdom to like be here now, to like know that when I serve others and I, I help someone else, I'm just helping myself. You know, when I help, you know, that tree or that plant or the earth, I'm still just serving myself because I am that, and that is me. Yeah, so I'm like a so mirror. So nice. Like you just explaining that whole thing is made is giving me like goosebumps, um, and I, and I think one thing to mention is how you served me just being here, and um, for any of the listeners as well, Reynolds helped me set up this room. I'm still new to podcasting, still new to in person podcasting, and he was here helping me set this whole thing up and create <laughs> created this whole experience today um and you do have a way of just making you of making me feel like being around you is an experience and i can't really put my finger on it but it's really lovely so i guess it's it's interesting to see, to know that that's based on your experience not solely but psychedelics have given you that perspective on life mm-hmm. and i guess if anyone is curious i think you've given some great advice on, on how to do it properly mm-hmm. Um, so going back a little bit into your professional life, what is it exactly that you're working on at the moment and how does this integrate into your views on holistic health? Yeah, beautiful, yeah. Um, 
it's super cool. Like now I've integrated my professional life with my purpose. So, and I love the word ikigai as well. So that's why um, ikigai means like a reason for being, a reason for existing, really. So I guess my purpose, yeah, my professional life, uh, I kind of segment it in three main things. So number one, I do freelance work. Uh, and that's in, uh, well, honestly, number one, actually, I'm building. So I'm always building uh, entrepreneurially. So for me, actually building a charity right now uh, and so uh, and running retreats. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of things that I'll be building towards with others in the next X amount of decades. Yeah. Um, but we're starting with retreats uh, and just creating these experiences because that's where I feel can make a huge impact. It's obviously not as scalable as a B2B SaaS product, but I know that that is what I'm here for, is to help create those, those spaces for people to be able to do that really big, deep root cause yeah. healing. And that not just to heal from the past, but also to empower you to like have a better future, like kind of like self-development or self-actualization as well. So that's like yeah, building. Number two is freelance work. And so I do... Uh, I work in management consulting for a bit and at a wonderful digital healthcare startup, Startup Health. And so what I've learned in some of these roles is how to uh, help other startups uh, and, and corporates or boutique consultancies with their strategy. So really thinking like, what do you need to do in the future mm. so that your like company or startup, whatever, can be aligned with your values and mission? But also, um, specifically, the industries I mostly serve is like healthcare, it's like longevity type related work and, and consulting and freelance work there, uh, and then also in sustainability. So, then all the energy transition work, um, working like solar and batteries and EVs and transport, agriculture too, uh, and then maybe like the horizontal still technology. So, I really like to see how we can use the latest technology to help these things flourish. And so, my latest project I freelance on was actually on AI. And so it sounds beautiful, just like really deep dive back into a yeah. good old best friend, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, which I, um, yeah, which is another conversation, another, another podcast. But, <laughs> but yeah, AI is a, is a big one right now. And I, I want to say one thing on AI is the more wise and intelligent we are as humans, it means that we'll produce much more wiser AIs. Mm. And so I like this term, ecological intelligence. So if we can bring in the ecological intelligence from the planet, from the earth, from the universe, and we can be more ecologically intelligent as humans, then our AIs will also be much more intelligent. So that's, that's from there. And then another three thing I'm doing is I do uh, angel investing. Uh, and, and so wonderful uh, kind of, uh, how do I call it, like a micro VC. It's kind of a syndicate, but we're actually all GPs, um, general partners. So we all invest our own money, but we put like very little amount because I honestly don't really have much money at the moment. So I'm really investing to be on a shared journey with the founder I'm investing mm-hmm. with. And uh, we invest in things that have positive externalities, uh, mostly in health tech, um, wellness stuff as well. Um, we also, uh, one of our latest investments is the beautiful early work. So shout out to the early work team, DB, Jono, Rina, everyone there, Ryan. We love you so much for early work. It's an amazing startup because they're building the future of education. And so uh, I pretty much am only putting my money that I'm very mission aligned with. So instead of investing in anything that I think is going to go up, I'm, I'm still like, uh, I do believe in these we are going to have higher valuations to do well, but everything has to be mission aligned. Yeah. So that's like, that's the investing, uh, the freelance and the building. Yeah. Amazing. So going to the re- retreats briefly, what exactly do these retreats entail? Mm. 
Yeah. So the retreat uh, name is called uh, Ikigai Health and Nature Retreats. Yeah. And so if I were to break down you the three missions of our retreat, uh, and it's a very holistic, broad retreat. And, and to be honest, what we're trying to build is actually the infrastructure layer for all retreats. So not necessarily all retreats, but like aligned retreats and other experiences and workshops and events. And so you can split it up into Ikigai, Health and Nature. So mm. the number one mission is to, uh, we love threes here. The number one mission <laughs> is to help you find and pursue your ikigai, your purpose. Yeah. So it's all about philosophy, self-development, self-actualization in that bucket, education, all in there. And there's a lot in there, right? You can, there's so many workshops and retreats in there. Number two is about health. And the reason why it's number one is because I've found that if you don't have a purpose or a reason to live, you're probably not going to want to be healthy. So we help you find that purpose first. And then we teach you all the protocols and the health and the habits. And the, yeah. I like to think about health as an ecology. So we, we teach like your uh, ecology of health or your health ecology, where it's this systems view of health. Um, and there's some other frameworks that uh, I can kind of describe as well. But pretty much over here, we want to, the mission would be to maximize your holistic health, uh, increase health span, and minimize lifetime healthcare costs. And so if I were to break those down, like holistic health is that view of health talked about before. It's not only your health, but it's your health of your family and your friends. It's a very holistic view of health there. Uh, the, the health span is like healthy years lived with vitality. So it's very important that you're not just living to 80 years old or 100, but you, like, your last year is really there. We want you to be living, like, very happily and with energy and vitality to your last day. So that's yeah. a big one. And then the third one that health is, minimizing life, your lifetime cost of healthcare. And this is bringing the health economics background where I've realized, uh, you know, it's a big meta problem in health is, I guess, two big problems is like the bad outcomes of health and the, the very high cost of healthcare and they interplay. And so Brian Johnson, uh, shout out to Brian uh, and, and the whole longevity kind of movement there, spends about 2 million USD on his health every year. Okay. And he is one of probably the most healthiest people on earth right now. He's slowed his, his, his aging, his amazing kind of science behind it. But it's not sustainable for everyone, obviously, to spend $2 million in their health. What he's done is outsourced the blueprint for others to follow, which is awesome, free, and that's amazing. But pretty much I realized is that we need to have very low cost interventions to health. We can't give everyone a cardiac bypass surgery. We can't give everyone seven prescriptions of X, Y, Z. We need to get people to be able to be healthy with a lower cost of healthcare because our economy is going to uh, kind of like implode on itself. And the number one thing that's driving that is actually healthcare costs. Yeah, and so I've got to do some amazing modeling when I was working in consulting where we'd model out a percentage of healthcare costs as a percentage of GDP in the West, especially in the US and Australia, et cetera, and UK. And the numbers are not good. By like 2050 and 2060, like the amount of money we're spending on healthcare, and by the way, this is like reactive spending. This is like tertiary healthcare spending, people who like have diabetes and have heart disease and all these things. It's not like preventative at all. Less than 1% of our healthcare spending is preventative care. And even then, I don't even think that 1% is spent well. That is my opinion, but happy to validate that if you want. So that's why healthcare cost is huge. And I'm very focused on that. Um, and so we want to actually help people monitor their healthcare costs and see if they can achieve great outcomes at low cost. It's very important as well when developing a business model out of this prevention. Number three is all that nature. Because how can us as humans 
Uh, and how can you, when you come to our retreats, live in harmony with nature ecologically? And what I mean by that is humans have always done, like, try to develop themselves at the cost of nature. So we pull stuff out of the ground, we do X, we do Y, and we're kind of like killing other animals to make ourselves better, right? Or other plants and these things. Oil, you know, 250 million, million year old plants, you know, extract oil. I don't think it's bad we've done that, by the way, and I'm not saying any of that's bad. And I think we have to do that to be where we are today. We're kind of reaching a state and a turning point in civilization where we can now source our energy renewably. We can be able to grow our food more efficiently and productively in regenerative settings. And we can be able to be healthy, not at the cost of nature anymore. Yeah. And this is teaching us that we have a new kind of like belief in our chapter of humans, yeah. that we can like live and progress, not at the cost of the planet, but actually in harmony with the planet. So the planet gets healthier as we get healthier. And that kind of relates back to the thing I was talking about before, where we are nature itself. So if nature is unhealthy, we're unhealthy. Yeah. And if nature is healthy, we're healthy. So we are really just reflections of each other. Uh, and, and we're just one species in this beautiful animation. So it's kind of like a humbling one as well. Yeah, from ego to like ego. Yeah. I love that. And how long do these retreats last? Yeah, so the re- retreats last as long as my, my partner, Joe, will allow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a meme. <laughs> so, I love you, Joe. Um, pretty much, yeah, the retreats, we've done four in the last year, but they've been quite spontaneous, yeah. So the retreats have just been like a one-night retreat or like a, we did a week-long retreat pretty much up in Byron Bay at our beautiful friend Dan's farm, Dragon Farm. Wow. That was like kind of like a co-living retreat with like eight of us or so. So the retreats have been super variable. Yeah. And, and the reason why we've done them that way is because I just wanted to test different modalities of retreats. Yeah. But if I were to say like the, the first key guy helping the age retreat, once we get our program super like on point, will be a three-night retreat. And that's because I believe three nights is the minimum amount of time that you can really get deep with a group of people. One night, you're only just adjusting, you know, this sort of thing. So I'd say three nights is a good amount. And so that's what we tend to prioritize we can do seven day ones as well honestly i, I can see like a whole month type of retreat like yeah there's many different things you can do with it but i'd say three nights is like a good um, amount of time. and when do you think that there will be the first retreat open to the general public yeah interesting to be honest i'd say actually not for a while that's because um i really want to do like a, a very slow Kind of like like Taoist way of yeah. growing the, the and this is actually a charity what you see by the way uh, definitely will build a business model that would be for profit later and then the for profit entity can fund the charity but right now the reason why it's charitable is because I'm just running them pretty much with friends and friends of friends yeah yeah and even family too like you know my mom came to the retreat back in Birmingham and that's because um, retreats are very hard to run actually there's a lot of work in it. And so they're mostly like supply side uh, constraint. So there's always going to be demand for the material. Um, but just developing the actual like program system is the most important thing right now. And I want to grow organically where like it's actually like a referral. So because I want the retreats to actually be community building. Mm-hmm. That's a very, really key part of it. You don't just come to one of our retreats and we just say bye bye. You're actually in a lifelong community um, where you can come back to other retreats and you can then be equipped with like an Ikigai grant to run your own retreat. We actually want to empower you to be able to run your own experiences and these mm. sort of things. Because I, I really believe in the medium of a retreat. It's pretty much intentional time, like X amount of days. And we need more intentional time to just kind of take our step back from our busy, crazy lives. Just really like think, reflect, and do that deep like self-actualization mm. work that we all need to do 
that we just have put on pause because the hedonic treadmill has hit us. So yeah, so again, uh, probably not for the like, general public for a while. Uh, I'm not too sure when that will be. Um, if anyone wants to help fund as well more retreats, <laughs> uh, gladly would accept. Because right now the bank account is not doing the best. Um, but let's just say that um, yeah, like uh, want to grow organically through community and word of mouth and referrals at the moment. Yeah, and, and we'll see when we grow more. So, um, where in the world will these retreats be? Do you have any areas yeah. specifically in mind? Yeah. So the point of this is like it's like a global first kind of mindset. So like. Uh, we've run three in, uh, three in Australia and one in Portugal. Love uh, that. And Portugal, I think, would definitely be a big hub in the EU, at least. Yeah. Um, Australia is, like, our home. But to be honest, like, the whole world is our home, right? So uh, the, the vision would be to have retreats in an interconnected like, network globally where you could have one in the Philippines and in Bali and, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Bay Area and then, you know, outside of upstate New York. Like, yeah. I can imagine, like, many different beautiful locations uh, and they just have, really have to be in nature quite like this a prerequisite because I just believe you know and the evidence really points to that nature itself is the biggest healer like you don't need to be prescribed anything you can just be in nature and you'll heal like, automatically in my mind um, maybe with some like help here and there but it's mostly yourself and yeah so uh, uh, yeah globally uh, and if any other retreat centers want to like kind of uh, kind of be in our network as well. I'd love to have them on board too. So I see this as a cooperative kind of entity. I don't want to compete with other retreats in any way. I actually want to be a collaborative partnership. That's kind of how I'm thinking about it anyways. Well, that sounds incredible. And I really want to visit a retreat at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely want to go to a retreat. now we have been speaking for longer than expected which is amazing and we are going to have to wrap up um i've absolutely loved speaking to you today and you shared some really interesting knowledge around specific holistic health but coming to the end of the podcast i you've mentioned lots of quotes throughout this so the final question is if you could give a quote or mantra to anybody listening to this podcast right now what would that be Mm. yeah I'll, I'll go for the mantra and then the quote. So I'll do two. I'll, I'll cheat a bit. Um, for the mantra, I'll say, I said this before in the podcast, but I'll say it again because it's so, so meaningful. So it's just to be present and seek adventure. The thing about being present is that the yin and seek adventure is the yang. And I, I do believe you can put almost all issues into not being present or not like seeking adventure, like an authentic adventure, mm. kind of like the Lord of the Rings, but you know, yeah. uh, we are like, on your fellowship of the ring or whatever, like your part. Um, and then the, the quote, uh, good friend Max, um, shout out to Max, he's a lovely guy, uh, sent an email out uh, with this quote and, and I read it, I've read it many times, so to me it's really beautiful. It's an African proverb, uh, and an African proverb is, if you want to go fast, like go alone, yeah, kind of like the, the start of hustle, like, you know, just, just do it yourself. Yeah. But if you want to go far, like go together. And for me, like, I think about that in many different lenses, but, like, even your life, like, if you want your life to just go over it in a blink and you to just, like, do your own goals or whatever, sure, go ahead and, like, go alone. And that's needed sometimes is that alone time, you know, the solitude as well, right? But when you really want to, like, go far in anything, in your own longevity, like, in your own, like, business, with your family, like, it has to be a together thing because we are not created in isolation, yeah. And together is not just with other humans, but they're like nature of art. So I really think 
um, going together and like group therapy and like play therapy and natural therapy, like these things yeah. are, are making a massive comeback. Uh, and I'm very bullish on them because they also reduce the cost of healthcare and they increase outcomes. So yeah, it's, it's a win-win in my mind. Um, I think that links quite nice to this podcast because without you here today, wouldn't have created this amazing podcast episode. We've done that together. So um, I definitely agree with that. But thank you so much, Reynolds, for being here. Um, I have loved speaking to you. I hope you've enjoyed being on the podcast. That's, that's what you like, like, <laughs> First one. Best podcast of all time. Well, Emily's amazing. <laughs> it's also his first podcast. Yeah, we love it. Um, but thank you, Reynolds. And I do hope that I can go on one of your retreats at some point and share that with my listeners as well yeah amazing yeah well we can co-create one that's another big thing we all kind of contribute and proceed amazing well thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed and i will see you next week for the next episode amazing (laughs) amazing